0: from the front lines of the Green Rush. This is Green Entrepreneur, where business owners talk about how they found success in cannabis and how you can too. All right. So, hey, everybody. Welcome to the Green Entrepreneur Podcast. My name is John Small. I'm the editor-in-chief of Green Entrepreneur, and we have a legend in the house today. I am joined by Fab Five Freddy. I'm a big fan super excited to talk to Fab. He is one of the co-founders of Be Noble, among many other things, but we'll just talk about that right now, which is a black-owned, cause-based cannabis brand working to liberate people who have been imprisoned for non-violent cannabis crimes. The other co-founder is a gentleman by the name of Bernard Noble, and um, Fab came to know Bernard uh, while working on his fabulous Netflix documentary The Grass is Greener, and we're going to hear about their partnership and what Be Noble is up to and find out what Fab is up to. Fab Five Freddy, welcome to the Green Entrepreneur Podcast.
1: Thanks for having me. And it's great to be here with you. Podcasting.
0: Podcasting. Well, as I mentioned off mic, I'm a, I'm a big fan. So I just I'm really excited to have you here. And man, I, I could talk to you for hours, but I'll, I'll focus on the cannabis side of your uh, life right now. Talk to me a little bit about, explain a little bit Bernard's story, because we'll start with Bernard's story because it kind of leads into how you got it involved uh, in this, this company, Be Noble. So what can you tell us about that and then how you met, came to find out about his story and, and then collaborate with him?
1: Yeah. So, um, well, Bernard was given a 13-year sentence in the state of Louisiana for possession of essentially two joints of cannabis. Typical in the South, as cannabis booms as a as a business and as this great healthy plant, people are still getting extreme sentences, primarily in Southern states. And so Bernard was given this sentence. So 13-year sentence, hard labor for two joints. And so in, I had an idea, hit me around 2016. My other significant business partner in this, Bernard is sort of the... Is a partner, but he's also sort of the benefactor, if you will. But my other partner, Ron Samuel, and I, um, I came up with an idea to make a film, which became this film that you mentioned, Grass is Greener. The idea that hit me was like, wow, cannabis has been linked to America's music going back to the beginnings of jazz, and so does the demonization of the plant begin Primarily for racist reasons, it was bringing white folks to come to hear this new music being played, enjoy themselves, and indulge in that plant with a lot which, which a lot of the founders of jazz music, particularly in the state of Louisiana, where Bernard is from, the city of New Orleans, Louis Armstrong, the great proponent of cannabis his entire life, and many of the leading jazz musicians. So I was like, "Wow, this would be a great idea." to tell the story of cannabis connected to America's music. All the relevant genres, most of the leading proponents, practitioners have all indulged in this incredible plant, cannabis. So that's all through jazz into Various, you know, bebop jazz and everything else. And then as we got into rock and roll and funk and, of course, reggae. So I I look at a lot of those significant forms of music. And the like, for instance, a lot of people didn't know that there were numerous jazz records made about cannabis. Just Google jazz cannabis records on YouTube. And there's at least a dozen. There's a couple of dozen pop up. So anyway, that was the primary idea. But of course, I had to look at the criminal misjustice, if you will, going on with far too many, primarily people of color who get the bad end of the criminal justice uh, stick, if you will, which was once again, the intent of why the plant was criminalized. So anyway, had to find a situation to focus on to illustrate the criminal justice nightmare of disproportionately black and brown people getting unbelievable sentences and just criminalized and, you know, whatever, whatever. And that's how Bernard Noble's story hit my record. Um, I guess Vice had a show called Kit and they did an episode on him just focusing on his family. I think he called in and you heard his voice and there were all his little kids and sis- siblings and stuff. And I thought, wow, let's focus on this guy's story. So while telling the story of cannabis, of course, which the film we got to travel around the country, we went to New Orleans to look at the jazz history and give you that flavor. But also while down there, we interviewed Bernard Noble's family. It's a very emotional moment in the movie. And that was super sad, shocking. Mom and sisters just burst out in tears. You just really felt that emotionally in a deep way. And it was like just so horrible. And literally, while still in production, we got word that Bernard was going to be granted a uh, parole. And the, my film crew, we flew back to, to Louisiana to cover that moment, to walk out of prison into the arms of his family. So that's how I meet Bernard Noble. And then I learned a ton from all the smart people that came to talk in my film particularly Killer Mike, who said some things that kind of haunted me. Like if we miss this opportunity economically, if you will, this is a a kind of a serious wealth generator that African-Americans in particular should be a part of. And it, it just was like, wow. And so the idea emerged not long after making the film to create a cannabis product that would also address these issues of the criminal justice nightmare, while providing taking care of Bernard, and also to donate uh, some of the proceeds, the profits to organizations helping to expunge records for those that have been in jail for cannabis for nonviolent cannabis users, and uh, other orgs that are helping uh, teach people how to function, how to work in this booming cannabis business. And so, the idea that we came up with was a brand in Bernard's name which we call Be Noble, play off of the Bernard Noble, Be Noble, Be Educated, Be Aware. And so we drew up, put together a whole plan, uh, marketing, how we wanted to image this, kind of little clips that we would use to promote it and everything. And we were meeting, I met all these cool people in the space and I was like, hey, I got some ideas, I'm going to do something. And then through a gentleman by the name of Jason White, who's a young African-American cat that had worked at Nike, had worked at Beats by Dre. He was the chief marketing officer. And he, I showed him what I was working on and he got back to me and said, our CEO said, let's make a deal. And we were blown away because curly they are the biggest guys in the, in the game. MSO, multi-state operator, but they really wanted to step in in a very equitable, in the correct way, which is what has happened. And so, I mean, that's the in a nutshell.
0: Yeah, that's that's a good story. So, so cureleaf is now distributing this product?
1: Yeah, we are partners with relief We just, um, in early July, we went on the shelves in two states, Massachusetts and Maryland. And later in October, we're going to be rolling out into six other states and more states following. And so I guess it's essentially the, it'll be the first national social equity brand with some really high quality cannabis. I mean, I didn't get to indulge in the plant until I went up to Boston about a month ago. And uh, wow, I literally almost coughed the lung up. The plant is so good. I toured the facilities, saw what they're doing out there. And that was dope. And so we are just fired up. We went to some of the Dispensaries met a lot of people on the team up in Massachusetts. And so we're aggressively now getting ready for these other states, other markets to basically tell this story and hope that people go and try some of this incredible cannabis, but they will also get an education. You get, there's a QR code on the packaging that'll take you into a more explained narrative about what we're doing, why we're doing it, and how people can get involved.
0: All right. I want to step back because you said a lot of interesting things I want to unpack. One of the things that's always been really interesting to me is, is, is the role that cannabis has played in music and, and specifically jazz and then later hip hop. Why do you think it is about cannabis that is so appealing to musicians and creative folk?
1: Great question. And, and I didn't know until as a practically a lifelong cannabis enthusiast. If you get the chance to watch the movie, Grass Is Greener, I tell the story of my family, my dad, how the jazz influence that was around me, that was like a ubiquitous thing in the household that I had to keep hush-hush and quiet as a little kid. But what I learned in working on the film and talking to other experts is that the musicians talk about, there's an effect when you're high on cannabis, that time or the vibe kind of slows down a bit, if you will, which understanding jazz and blues and a lot of the great American music, improvisation is key. So that slowing down and putting you in a certain groove can aid and assist in the improvisational factor, which was instrumental in jazz music. And so particularly when you think of Louis Armstrong, one of the kind of foundations of jazz and which leads to all to other types of American music, all you could connect it all back to Louis Armstrong. He didn't move without having his high quality cannabis. You know what I'm saying? That golden leaf. Steve Hager, who was the longtime editor of High Times, had done research on Louis. And he was like, another person that we look at in the film was a Jewish cat that was beloved in Harlem and by all jazz musicians. Mez, right? Mez, Mezro. (laughs) Yeah. Steve felt had a link to people in New Orleans that were growing cannabis, but knew how to cultivate for the flower. Which made, you know, when I was coming up, we would roll up leaves and stems and grind up seeds. We thought it all worked. But now as we've become more educated about cannabis, it's the flower. And I didn't know about that until recently as cannabis has become more sophisticated and there's more information about what it is and how it works. And so anyway, yeah, so that was just the thing. Like the musicians understood that they can get in a groove. They can swing through it, in and out of it in an effective way. And I think, I'm not an alcohol drinker, but you would think if you got too stoned on alcohol, the coordination and all those things that go into playing your music may not work as effectively as it is when you're nice off of some high quality cannabis. So it just went hand in hand in a very comfortable way, calming you, putting you in that right zone to get in and out of those measures of the music. Seem to be what it is for many musicians that just got very comfortable with cannabis.
0: What's so interesting about your career is that you've kind of have gone through, you have a lot of different specialties and careers and you've gone into different worlds. You know, you were in the sort of, you were in the Andy Warhol, sort of Debbie Harry, early eighties art scene, graffiti artist. And then now you're in the cannabis scene, you've been in the hip hop scene. I mean, you're just, so you see it, are you always, Is there cannabis communities within each of those communities? Like, was cannabis?
1: <laughs> Absolutely. It's been ubiquitous throughout all of my creative endeavors throughout time. It's been a blessing. It's, and, you know, Snoop says something great in my film. And Bernard loves to always bring it up. At, at one point, Snoop, who, by the way, made his television debut along on my show when I hosted Yo! MTV Raps, you know, the show that put hip hop in people's homes, coast to coast and around the world. Snoop was like, man, if you put a bunch of people in the room and there's some alcohol, there's likely to end up fighting or being crazy. And if you leave some, some like weed in that room and you come back, those people will likely be in there taking selfies together. And it's like, it makes you realize that, you know, cannabis is that thing that's a very warm, let's all come together, pass the weed around. And-
0: it's so true. You never hear about big fights breaking out in, in cannabis parties, you know, like it just, and that's, what's so crazy that it's, you know, very hard to consume it publicly, you know, in public spaces now, like I'll go to a cannabis dispensary opening and we can't even smoke cannabis at the dispensary opening. Cause it's like all these laws, you can't smoke it. And it's like, you know, but, but they're serving booze. I mean, it's just bizarre.
1: And that, that it's bizarre. And that's a perfect point that cannabis is going through A similar period of acceptance, although it is a huge battle because once again, the inequities of race, unfortunately, are so deeply embedded in the recent cannabis has been criminalized. It's just an unfortunate situation that...
0: Do you think it's going to get better? I mean, I know this is your hope and it's why you made your film and you're bringing light to the situation. And there seems to be a lot of states now that are lessing the cannabis for nonviolent crimes, convictions, but we still hear about it. Well, there's two things I want to ask. One is you sort of make this point. I've heard you make this point in interviews, like, and it's kind of what Killer Mike was saying, like, this is an opportunity now for black entrepreneurs to get involved in an industry kind of from the ground up and right some of the wrongs from the past But you still go to these events, right? Like marijuana business conventions and stuff. And you see a lot of white people, right? And I'm just wondering... Do you still do you think that train has passed? I mean, I'm glad that you guys are in the industry right after I talk to you. I'm about to talk to Al Harrington, who's, a you know, a big player in the industry. Yeah. Oh, wow. It, you know, and I feel like yeah.
1: Viola, Viola. Exactly. Say what's up. Yeah, We were just yeah, we were just together at the National Cannabis Festival down in D.C., which was amazing. It was easily 50,000 plus outdoors, great music all day, flower burning, people selling. It was an incredible thing.
0: Hey, everybody, we will get right back to the interview. But first, I've got a question for you. What would you do with an extra 15 hours every week? If you're like me, you would relish it because let's face it, whoever invented the 24 hours a day thing, it's not enough hours in the day. We are busy people these days. I don't know anybody now who does not answer the question, hey, how are you doing with, uh, I'm so busy. Well, let me tell you something. It doesn't have to be this way. Belay can help you reclaim that 15 hours every week by delegating just five tasks. Like, think of five tasks that you would delegate today, maybe. If it was me, I would say emails, number one, scheduling my interviews, my expenses, planning my meetings, and then maybe booking travel. Well, Delegation is the cost of your sanity and the linchpin of the survival of organizations everywhere. And now Belay is offering a free delegation guide. To get that guide, you just go to BelaySolutions.com backslash green. That's Belay, B-E-L-A-Y, Solutions.com backslash green for your free download of the delegation guide. Hey, it helped me.
1: To answer what you brought up, which is a key point, even though cannabis is fighting these battles and winning, there's still somewhat too heavy regulation and laws and taxation and all these things, which somewhat overburden and forcing people to still stay with their homie, their dealer who's got that plant, and they don't have to go through all of that. But New York, which recently um, got Legalization, we have the most progressive cannabis legislation in the country, more so than Massachusetts. People much more knowledgeable than me that have read through the specifics of these different legislation said, Man, what we have in New York is super it's definitely the best. Like anywhere you can smoke a cigarette, you can light up cannabis in New York right now, which is yeah, still you m- smell blows it, my you mind. Like what? Yeah, so indoors at a dispensary opening with dispensary opening whenever that comes still may be somewhat restricted but what the legislators did and I got to meet Crystal People Stokes the legislator in New York state that wrote the bill Cassandra Frederique featured in my film was the main lobbyist fighting to get the legislation that we now have they've studied what worked and didn't work in other states is what I learned in talking to her attempts to do the right thing with social equity to fix the wrongs done to people of color, disproportionately in prison, and then shut out of touching the plant as a result of being essentially pioneering businessmen in the cannabis industry. That's right, your local pot dealer. They now are shut out of the game. But some progressive states have tried to fix that, but there's still more fixing that needs to be done. Like I think in San Francisco or up in the Oakland area, people that had been in prison for nonviolent cannabis were given the opportunity to get cannabis dispensary licenses, but then couldn't get any funded because the guys that have all the money are not comfortable with a black guy who's served time in prison or just don't know a connection, no way to come together and either to make make a business type of relationship. There's ways to try to address and fix that in the New York legislation, which is now being fine-tuned with the various components. So hopefully in the next two years, we'll have something that can help fix, but. The, the position that we're in, we're looking to expand, be noble. I'm looking at it similar to the record business. This is like our first single. We just have a two joint pre roll available, and that two joint packaging is reflective of the two joints that Bernard got a 13 year sentence for. And also, there's messaging where you can li- read on the package what this is about, go to the website, hit the QR code, and get more information. We're looking to ramp up with more products, flower, and the B-Noble side of it all, which will be like albums coming right. out. Right, so this
0: is the 12-inch.
1: <laughs> right. This is the 12-inch is what it is. It's the long playing 12-inch, and we're looking to come with an album, maybe even a double album. But also, to, we wanted the exciting thing because the response has been so good and we feel so good about the what's motivating us to do this is to, to develop other brands under the parent company name revolution. So we're looking to do other brands that have a cause related give back component in them. And that's what we're looking to do. But Be Noble so far, so good. It's the, the amazing uh, response. And once again, when I went up to Boston and sat outside the hotel and lit one up, yeah. wow, money. It well, was- at the end of the day, Yeah, it's got to still be good product, no
0: matter you know it's a good cause, but it's got to be be, good product. Was that fun? You must have tried different distributors, different grows to find the right fit for you guys. Was that fun? Kind of QA quality assurance uh, testing. Did you get to try a lot of different weed to figure out who you were going to partner with?
1: In all honesty, it was so frustrating to be in places like Oregon and LA and you know Colorado and different places in the research and making of grasses greener, and then. Yeah, seeing all the innovations going on where you can see what's available, how much THC, uh, all the various products coming out. And then to come home to New York and you still got to call up your homie, yo, what you got? You got anything? You know, it's like I felt so frustrated. But luckily with Cureleaf, I realized that the reason they're the big guys on the block is because they do produce really good flour. And they also made a special kind of mandate that what is in these B-Noble pre-rolls is not shake, it's not trim, it's bud is being broken up and put in these, uh, in these pre-rolls, and it's super good quality, which, you know, once again, a lot of people may not know that oftentimes what is in a pre-roll is the shake, it, you know, it's that leftover in the bottom of the pile or the trim that they trim, which still has a little THC on it. It's not the best quality from the plant. And so that's what Leaf is doing. And they're pushing it out to their retailers and letting, I was on a sales call with about 90 people from various markets that will be on the shelves in the 1st of October. And it was just really a lot of enthusiasm for them to hear this story of Bernard and be able to share what this brand is really all about and to make that connection with the consumer. And I'm looking forward to visiting some of these other markets and talking to people and getting some, you know, feedback and stuff like that.
0: Tell me the parallels, because I'm I'm sort of seeing this in my, in my head that before you did Yo! MTV Raps, rap was, and it was called rap. That wasn't even really hip hop yet, right? It was kind of rap early on that we called it rap, (laughs) right? Rap wasn't really mainstream. I, you know, I was fortunate to grow up in New York, so I was exposed to rap Cause it was a regional thing. And I was also just really into it. um, And so I sought it out and I was living in Westchester, which was kind of near the Bronx and I could get 12 inches in the Bronx, you know, like I had access to it, but I know that most of the country discovered rap through you guys, you know, you and Ed love are doing yo MTV raps and you kind of made it more mainstream at that point. Do you sort of see a similar thing happening with, with um, cannabis, which right now it's kind of like pre yo MTV raps. It's like a regional, you know what I mean? I don't know.
1: Yo, yeah, no, you are definitely dialed in. And so one of the things that we are aggressively going to be bringing to the table, which is sort of is that hip hop marketing energy, which once again at the time when Young TV Raps aired, hip hop wasn't even broadcast. The only 24-hour station was an AM station out in LA at that time in 1988. It was KDAY. And so Young TV Raps dropped and you could not only hear it coast to coast, but you you can see these music videos, which was a, a brand new thing. In fact, a lot of people don't know that's where my, I mean, I guess my film education starts by being involved in making hip hop's first movie, Wild Style. But then that was also film school for me. And then I wanted to have more opportunities to like play in that while being a visual artist, making paintings, having exhibits, which I still do. I made the first music video I made was, was for KRS1, a video, a song for the song My,
0: My philosophy. philosophy. Oh, I didn't realize you did that. I yeah, love that video. I, I love that. Love that rap.
1: Yeah, thank you. Yeah, so I directed over 60, 70 videos through the period when I was hosting Your MTV raps. First videos for Snoop, Queen Latifah, Gangstar, you know, Cool G rap, a lot of those foundation golden era hip hop people I got to work with creatively, EPMD. Nas, I did Nas one of Nas's first videos for the song One Love, and then hearing and researching Grass Is Greener, learning about Burner, and because I heard about the Cookie strain, and I thought it was something that Wiz Khalifa had came up with, because he was mentioning it a lot. But then when I got to meet growers and people really plugged in, they were like, "No, it's this guy named Burner who's come up, who who came up with that strain, and a bunch of other cool strains." and as we know, he's like this juggernaut right now. But from the legacy side of it, which is something that other heads that are meeting, like is has become a good friend. And when we roll out in California, we're going to be getting genetics from Shcherbinsky. So guys on the legacy side who are hip to the business are coming together to watch each other's back, to work together so that we can do this thing with flavor. And so there's a definite connection that I see to hip hop in this very early era. And so we're not just trying to bring the market, but we're trying to bring the, bring the correct business acumen to make the right deals. You know, in the beginnings of, of hip hop, a lot of people fresh out the projects, basically still living at home in their mama's house, Stumbled into like their first hit records, a lot of guys made horrible deals. They had no clue. Like they just wanted to be a big man on the block in the hood and then turn around and go, wait a minute, I should be getting a bigger slice of the pie. And that jammed up a lot of people. Sometimes artists couldn't figure it out in time to get back in the game. So we're thinking about a lot of those lessons that have gone down so that when we structure and build this business that we're creating, we don't make those kind of and by the, the way, steps. there's there's
0: going to be, it reminds me, right? It's like regional and, you know, you've got the West Coast and then you've got like Oklahoma does its own thing. And you just don't want to get so mainstream that like, you know, suddenly it's like vanilla ice and almost the death knell of hip hop. <laughs> I just want to ask you one question as an entrepreneur, because you have done, you're like the multi-hyphenate guy, you you know, like you mentioned in this interview, interviewer, artist, documentary filmmaker, artist, now entrepreneur of a, of a cannabis company. How do you come up with your ideas of what you want to do. Like you've done a lot of different things. A lot of people you know, will pick a lane and sometimes you get that advice to pick a lane, but you've never really picked a lane. Like you've been in many lanes. <laughs> so what's that all about?
1: Yeah, I have in a certain sense, but I, and, and I, I get this question a bit. I kind of see it as one lane. It's just how I got down. I guess in the beginning of myself, the first thing was making art. Like I used to be one of those guys that wrote my name in spray paint and marker, walls, buses, trains, graffiti artists. But I had this idea that what we were doing could be and should be looked at as fine art because most kids, it was just a teenage wild rebellious activity. I am sort of an art history and I just, go in deep on anything that I'm into. And I was like, wait a minute, what these pop artists are doing is very similar to what we're doing, inspired by the same shit. And that led me to go to the downtown scene in New York where I met a a young black guy like me from Brooklyn named Jean-Michel Basquiat. And we became tight. Keith Haring. And then there were these punk rock new wave people that we met and we I pitched these ideas and they were very receptive. And that was Blondie and many other people on that scene. So it was like a real fertile ground, open-minded people. Oh, this is great. When no one else was saying anything positive about what was, do- what was happening. So John, like me, sadly, he died really young at 27, but We were committed to work in film, to work in music, to work in art. It's not much different. Andy Warhol was somewhat similar, who was a big influence on a lot of us. He made films, he wrote, and he made paintings. We're not doing everything at the very same time. But, hey, here's an opportunity to make a film about cool stuff that we love doing. Let's do it. It's just that I've been fortunate that certain things creatively have been of a, have become of a certain magnitude that makes it seem like I'm doing, like I'm an octopus doing all these things at one time. I'm not like painting is always going on, although I haven't been painting quite a lot since the pandemic, but the way I make my art is digitally. I have assistants and I'd say, i put this here, move that here. No, do this, do that. Then we come up with an image digitally. And then I have it printed because I wanted to work that way in connection to how hip hop influenced the making of music with the use of sampling and remixing and all of those things. I wanted to approach my visual art in the same way, but I grew up in front of the television, like most of us do. So I didn't grow up watching surgery or watching lawyers in court. So I could, that's requires a, a lot more deep learning, but figuring out how to put images together and make a catch. It was something that I was able to, wanted to figure out and do and got a chance to, to do that. So yeah, I juggle, I keep these balls in the air juggling. And, um, but right now the primary focus has been, um, which I also somewhat look at as a conceptual art project is um, cannabis and be noble and the social justice component. And I can't believe, I mean, you know, every time I mention what the brand's about and people hear that they're giving people that amount of time for two joints or less or not much more, people are totally shocked and like, what could I do? And so that's what we're happy and we want to just bang hard with this. And then as I get moving, you know, I'd like to point out, so for the soundtrack for Grass is Greener, I have a cousin named Salam Remy who's a producer. And Salam, I initially just wanted to get some beats from him to just have my editor in the movie. Then when I began to talk to him, I was like, wait a minute, you've you've scored a few films. Can we work something out? Which we did. So Salam, in about a 10-day period, came up with all the songs. I went down to his home studio in Miami, created all the background score music for Grass Is Greener. Then at the 11th hour, we made, he made calls and we got a soundtrack album out, the Grass is Greener soundtrack with The Locks, Bun B, Black Thought, Stephen Marley, all the instrumentals you hear in the film, we had artists come and sing to them. And so as we go forward to develop Be noble and other brands, film dope clips dope beats original music is mixtape shit's gonna be coming it's gonna be slipping through here there and there so that's a part of where i'm gonna bring yeah because you have that's
0: your you've always brought together a lot of different disparate elements into one so that's and you also have a golden touch i mean you seem to have good timing so i'm i'm encouraged that you are getting into cannabis now because you got into hip-hop kind of early <laughs> in the early days and look what happened to hip-hop You definitely, I mean, people don't really realize that the whole like merge, I mean, Debra, the Blondie, Fab Five Freddy Told Me Everybody's Style. I mean, that was the first time that rap had ever been heard in a pop song ever.
1: That's right. And it went to number one as well. So most people first heard this idea of rap from Blondie. A lot of people way outside of New York and you were blessed to grow up here. And many people didn't have a clue about what is she talking about? This Fab Five Freddy Told Me Everybody's Fly? Nobody knew what that meant. And then I get the call to, because I had did all these cool things on that downtown scene, like folks working at MTV were like, listen, these records are selling with no marketing, no promotion. We should get a show on. And would you come and host it? And I was like, well, only if you let me be in the street and going to people. I don't want to be cooped up in that that MTV studio. If anybody's old enough, to, you know, to remember, those VJs would sit in the studio with a blurry background, and, and you would grow to not like those people if they weren't playing the music you wanted to hear. And that's how I was. So I got to do that as well. And so I've been fortunate. And timing is everything. But it's really a lot of it is from my. i have been always very curious. So a lot of times when I was doing yo. What I was asking artists is literally what I wanted to actually know. Like, how you come up with this shit? Like, is it the beats first? Is it the idea for the song? What the hell is South Central LA? Like, what is this all about? And so that's how I got to share that with the country. You can go on YouTube. If anybody out there is not aware of any of this stuff, the great thing about the era we live in, it's all on YouTube. All of this shit, you can just Google Yo MTV Raps, Fab Five Freddy. You'll see me talking to Tupac. You'll see me talking to Snoop and Latif and all these people. And by the people. way, Rent
0: Wild Style, because that is like a piece of art. It's just, a it, made, it meant a lot to me in my life, that, that movie. All right, well, I'm gonna let you go, Fab. Thank you, this has been fascinating. And if people wanna find out about B Noble, is there a website they should go to? It's like bnoble.com?
1: Yeah, b-noble.com is the site. If you just Google B Noble, we've gotten a lot of great press lately. Um, a lot of people have been helping us tell the story. And um, we're not in California yet, but we, like I said, we're working on putting a deal together. We're going to have genetics from Sherbinsky, who, by the way, just sent me a bunch of his actual sherbet with Sherbinsky CBD. Really super tasty, super good. And so, yeah, um, just b-noble.com. For- and where
0: are you now? So you're not in California, but where, where can you buy your product? Oh,
1: you can buy it in Massachusetts and Maryland. Right now, Be Noble is in dispensaries. There's a cure leaf dispensary if you're in those places. But in October, we will be in six other markets. October 1st, we're going to be dropping. And uh, so super excited to see this thing rolling out.
0: Well, I am too, and I'm excited to try the product. Got to get myself to Maryland or uh, Massachusetts or one of the six states that you're about to open it. Fab. All right. Well, it's been an absolute honor to talk to you and uh, you have a. Blessed day.
1: Yeah, thanks so much, man. I appreciate it. It's great to talk to somebody that really knows the whole culture. That's
0: incredible. Wow. <laughs> I could go deep. Love I could it. go Thank very you, deep. Um, and, and maybe another conversation yeah, another like time. It. All right. I'll talk to you later, man. Jonathan.
1: All right. Home. Peace. Thank you. Peace.
0: Thank you for listening to the Green Entrepreneur Podcast. To find out more about Green Entrepreneur, you can go to greenentrepreneur.com check out our magazine on newsstands everywhere. Check out our Instagram at Green Entrepreneur. We're also on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and all other social media feeds. If you like this podcast and you'd like to hear more from me, Jonathan Small, check out my other podcast, Write About Now, that's W-R-I-T-E, to get some in-depth interviews into the lives and stories of successful writers how they got there, what they learned, and what you need to succeed. That's rightaboutnowmedia.com. Until next episode, we'll THC you later.